All right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. I love, I love the call and response here. That's great. Uh, good morning, everybody. Yeah, so I'm Alfonso Matt, like Caleb said, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to come that you would open up your doors to me and let me come and share the word of God with you. Um, so just a little bit about me just real quick. So I'm married. I've been married uh, to my beautiful wife, my wife, Catherine, for four years now. And we have a five-month-old baby boy named Isaiah. Um, and it's been a blast being a dad. I cannot. My, my kid loves to sleep. He loves eating. But the one, one of the coolest things about him, he's one of the most joyful babies. I probably have ever seen in my life. He smiles at anything. He'll smile at the wall if he has to. But, so, so if you ever, so I know some people come up to me and like, hey man, like most babies, they don't like smiling at me. They usually cry when they see me. I'm like, you look at my kid, he's smiling at you. So if that's, if that's you, listen, you would feel good if you were to ever meet him. But listen, I am thrilled to be able to share with you all um, this morning. And it's good to see some familiar faces and people we miss back in, in BG. Um, and so I know last week you guys started in this series in uh, Genesis. And you were in this place where you kind of just taking this pick to look into the glory and the power and majesty of God through the creations of the heavens and the earth. And so what we'll be looking at too, into today is more so the intricacies of how God himself created humanity and his purpose for us. Um, I think this is a great thing to ponder, um, especially because we live in this time and place where so many people wonder about who is God. They, they ask these questions of how do we know that God actually exists? And when you take a step back, like you did last week, and you look into the creations of all things, and you see that God created the skies, he created the earth, and look, he created the ground, the sun, the moon, the animals, all these great and amazing birds. And you can only think, man, only a magnificent and intelligent God could create something so beautiful. He created all things. And the scriptures point this out even so much more, that in Psalm 19, it says that literally the sky or the heavens proclaim the glory of God that literally it shows his handiwork. Romans 1, Paul talks about how literally people can see that God created things by what he has, who God is by what he has created. And so when you think about just beautiful sunsets, beautiful waterfalls, amazing flowers, we see that there has to be this God whose hand is all over this. And in Genesis 2, we get this moment where we get to see even more about how much better God's creation is when he makes man and woman. And so the more that we wonder about this God, we take a look at humans as we will do in this text. We're like, oh my goodness, this God is magnificent. He really does exist. And so this text that we'll be in is one that should actually help us explore who God is in relationship to who we are as humans and looking into the purpose in which God himself has designed us. What it will do is it will reveal his character, but it will also help us understand how we are to relate to him. And so my big idea for this morning that the beauty of God's character is seen in humanity when we rule and rely. The beauty of God's character is seen in humanity when we rule and rely. So the question we're really trying to answer is, what does creation of mankind reveal about God and how we ought to relate to him? And so my goal for this morning uh, and for this teaching is to kind of walk through certain parts of, of, this, of this section. And there's a lot of verses. But really what I want to do is just kind of just paint this picture of the majesty and the beauty of God. And speak on how we can see that he has, how he has created us to be. And in the midst of this, what I really want to, to kind of discuss and really look into is this heart of worship. Just, just be able to worship God for how he has made us. But then to also have this point of where we will probably feel a little bit of conviction as we look at how God has designed us. And we have to wonder, are we actually living in our God-given purpose? And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, verses 4 through 25. 
And please stay with me for the reading of God's word. So this is something that we do down in Bowling Green, something I love doing. So please stay with me. And I'll kind of share a little bit about where this comes from. Um, and so during my time in the seminary, uh, I graduated two years ago now, which is crazy. Um, I had to go and, and prepare a teaching out of the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we get this moment where Nehemiah himself, or, or Ezra himself, he gets up, he opens up the word of God, and it says that they were reading from early morning until mid-afternoon. And so, so some commentators say that these people would have probably been standing listening to him read the word of God for like eight hours. Okay, might even have been a little bit longer. But for me, it's something that's just descriptive. So it's just describing to us. It's not something that we have to do. But I just love it because it just gives us this picture of how holy God's word is. And so this is something that I just love to do. Um, so we're going to start here in verse 4. And we're going to go all the way through verse 25. And so these are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God made the heaven and he the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field, field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God calls to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided, became the source of four rivers. The name of the, of the, of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havalah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is pure, beledium and onyx, and are also there. The name of the second river is Gion, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Certainly God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought it, brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at the place, and the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. They become one flesh, both the man and his wife are naked, yet felt no shame. This reading, God's where you may be seated. And so, and so this morning, my, this is my first point of, of two is this. God's intention for creating man was to rule the earth. God's intention for creating man was to rule the earth. And so here, when we see that God, he created man, we're told in Genesis 1 that we were made into his likeness. This is to mean that we are to reflect his image and his glory. And a part of this is to actually have rule over things. It's to have ownership. 
Some, some people will even like to use the word dominion. And so when, I, when I'm talking about rule or dominion, uh, one brother of mine, he says it this way. It is the capacity and responsibility to act on behalf of the flourish of the rest of creation. Dallas Willard actually says this. He's a, he's a great theologian. This is what he says on the aspect of rule and dominion. He says, we are made to have dominion within an appropriate domain of reality. This is the core of the likeness or the image of God in us and is the basis of the destiny for which we were formed. We are all, all of us, never ceasing spiritual beings with a unique eternal calling to count for God, for good in God's great universe. And so here when we look at chapter 2, we see God who created the earth, but he also gave humanity this ability to go and reflect his image in creation by literally just saying this, this ground and these plants will not grow unless there is a man here to take care of it. And so in verses 5 to 6, we see that God longed for man to reveal who he is by tending to the earth so that the earth may flourish. And he confirms this even throughout some of the rest of the scriptures, as we see in verse 8 and even in verse 15, and it says that God himself placed the man in the garden of Eden to work it and to walk, watch over it. And so when we talk about work here, what the ESV study Bible says it this way, that work, it, it denotes this picture of preparing and tending. It's like, it's like I'm keeping. And so really what, what it's saying is here is that productive work is a part of God's purpose for man in creation. And so when you look at all of these verses, and you especially go look at verse 15, you see that God, he extended this. By allowing the man to be placed in his garden to work it and watch over it. And this is so significant. Because God literally gave mankind responsibility over his creation. This should let us know that because he himself gave it to us, that he has given us a secondary rule over which he himself owns first. Which also means that we are subject to our owners as we are to take care of his stuff. So just ponder the magnitude of this for me for just one second. The God who created all things... All things gave us responsibility to take care of the things that he has created. This is one of the first implementations of stewardship that we see in the scriptures. Here we see God just screams like, here's my creation. And I want you to be a part of it, so please go and take care of it for me. And this isn't just some whimsical task that just has no meaning. There's so much depth here. Having rule is so important because guess what? We get to reflect the image of God in our work because when you go look at Genesis 1, what did God do? He worked as he created all of the heavens and the earth. And all of this really matters. And the reason why is it makes me think of just a business owner. Now, what do business owners do? They hire employees to do what? To take care of that which is theirs to take care of their company and to watch over. It reminds me of my dad. My dad actually owns a restaurant in South Bend, Indiana. And so if you ever are in South Bend, Indiana, which is super random for people that are probably not my, you may not ever show up there unless you like Notre Dame football. But if you do, my dad owns a restaurant and he makes some of the best fried chicken and Philly cheesesteaks you might ever eat in your life. <laughs> but, but one thing about my dad's restaurant is this, is that often I have conversations with him about how things usually are going. And a lot of times he's like, yeah, I got all these people here and they're working for me. And I'm like, great, well, well how's, how are they doing though? And a lot of times, and, and just to give you a little backdrop, my dad started his first restaurant in inner city South Bend, so he has employees that aren't probably the most reliable. And so what happens very, very often is he gets these employees who are probably stealing from him. And a lot of the times I call him, I'm like, hey dad, what you doing? Well, I got to rush into work because so-and-so and so-and-so didn't decide to show up today. And so we see that there's this responsibility that he has given these people, but they are not actually taking the time to do exactly what he has called them to do for his job. And so what this does is it leads his restaurant into ruins. 
right? He loses money. And it's so bad where even a manager sometimes doesn't want to show up to work. So why is this work of God creating the heavens and the earth so important when he gives us rules? Because, listen, we have a huge impact on the outcome of the world. This is what we see from all of this. And so the heart of God, when you look at him literally giving us rule, it's literally showing he's giving us the ability to steward. And so the great question that I have to just ponder upon for all of us is how are we managing that which God has given us? How are we managing it? Are we protecting? Are we cultivating what has been entrusted to us for his glory? Or are we using what he has given us for our own glory? See, listen, he has given us his ability to be gardeners and guardians over that which he has bestowed upon us. This is what he has done. And this is this extension that he has given us even goes so deeper that you look at verses 19 and 20. And, so the, and then you see that the God has created us with a distinction as we rule. He's, so, he's just so good at how he, he created us. It says that he brought the animals that he had made to the man and allowed him to name them. So what we see is this is God entrusting us with more of what he's formed. But it reveals a couple things. One, that he trusts us. And you can just reaffirm that for what we just talked about. But second, God has created us with the ability to reason and be creative. He's created us with that ability. Think about how much this reflects the image of God to literally form Adam, to be creative enough to go out and intelligent enough to be able to name animals. One commentator talked about how naming the animals would have reflected that Adam was given the sovereign naming function. Almost similar to when we go look at how God named the sun and the moon and the stars and the seas. He named it. It's like you get this little bit of a picture and how Adam was able to do a little bit of that. Well, why? He was created in his image and in his likeness. And it can also be noted by R.K. Hughes. I love how he says this about Adam naming the animals. He says, the process challenged Adam's intellectual capacities. Naming demanded acquaintance and understanding of the animals. It was not a whimsical process of reviewing a 10-mile pet uh, parade and saying, oh, let's see, I've got it. Arvark, ah, oh, chimpanzee, oh, yeah, zebra. There, you're, you're a pelican. I like that. That's, the, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what's happening here. He says, no, Adam wasn't Dr. Doolittle on amphetamines. <laughs> the classic work of Kiel and, and DeLitz says, points out that we must not regard the names that Adam gave the animals as merely denoting their outward characteristics, but as a deep and direct insight into the nature of the animals, which penetrated, penetrated far deeper than knowledge that comes from simple reflection. As Adam fulfilled his kingly responsibility of interpreting the animals for what they were and giving them appropriate names, he is different. his differentiating power became acute. And so just think about that for a minute. God created him to literally be so intelligent enough to understand the animals, to name them a certain way. And it makes you think about humanity and all of these great things that literally we have seen in which God has given us this intelligence to do such a thing. You go look at throughout history. And you go think about all the major inventions that have transformed the world, right? We think about the cotton gin, right? We listen to think about rollerblades, right? But I know that's a silly one. People love rollerblades, but it changes the world. We think about cell phones to, to lawnmowers, computers, to the printing press, to the compass. Think about how that transformed navigation, right? Think about all these different things like the light bulb and modern medicine, you name it. And this reflects the image of God more than we think because it shows how he created us to rule 
and cultivate the earth as image bearers through God-given creativity. This is what he has done for us. But that's not the only thing that God created us for. It wasn't just for us to rule. He also created us and designed us to have reliant hearts. God designed us to have reliant hearts. And so this comes out of God's character, especially his relational attributes. And it starts when you actually take a look back and you go look at verse 4. And this is the first time where we see, so all the chapter 1 you see it talks about God. I mean, that's Elohim. And then we get this moment where it says Lord God here in verse 4. And this part, part, part of Lord is this, is this word of Yahweh. And so this is how we see God. It's, it's this picture of this relational God. This is what Lord actually means. And it just speaks to his relational and personal characteristics. And so when you break down Elohim and Yahweh, or God and Lord, Elohim as in God is the appropriate word for the majestic portrayal of God as creator of the universe, signifying omnipotent deity. So you look at chapter 1 and you see it, this powerful God creating all things. But then you hear we have Yahweh, which is Lord. It's this personal covenant name of God who relates to and redeems his people. And so this Lord God signifies God as our creator and our covenant redeemer. And so this is something that, let me take a quick back, step back, that I talked about earlier, this is something that should just lead us into worship and rejoicing today. Because listen, we don't just worship a God who is just far off and this creator that we don't even have an opportunity to be connected to, which is what some other major world religions, that's how they view God. You think about Islam. But we have this, this God who we worship who says he's the Lord God. He wants to know us deeply and intimately. He is a known God. And here's the thing, knowing God and being in a relationship with him wants us to rely upon him for our needs. And he establishes out of love so that we can just see it and how we ought to rely upon him. And one way that we ought to rely upon God that we can see throughout this text, there's going to be four things that I'm going to point out. And the first one is this, that we should rely upon God for our sustaining breath. So in verse 7, as we read about God making man, it is cool to know that God himself formed man. He formed him here, and it's similar to this imagery of a potter. And he's with, and he's with the clay, and he's molding, he's shaping the clay. This, this involves this intentional, this detailed and intricate work. It's like very calculated. It's very precise and very meticulous. This is the detail in which God created every single one of us that's in this room today. And what an honor it is to be made by God, knowing that he has given us this royal and priestly status by making us what? In his image. But to not only be made by God, but also it talks about he literally breathed life into him. And he said he became a living being is what we read. And so God breathed his spirit into human beings. And that is the value that has been placed in every single person on this planet. Breathing the air that God himself has placed in us says that we all have dignity, value, and worth. This is what we see. And so you want to know how we ought to rely upon God. Is also for our dignity and for our value. He has told us that we are valued so much that he breathed his own life and breath and lungs and his spirit into us. And so for just a quick note for anyone here that is batting the, the lie that you just are worthless, that your life does not matter, just understand something that, listen, it, knowing who God says that you are says that you have value and worth. Because he breathed his life into you, he created you in his image, so your life literally has value. And I love how this even sounds to Derek Kinder. He says this. I love these words. He says, he says, when he talks about breathe, it is warmly personal with the face-to-face -face intimacy of a kiss and the significance that this was given. given. 
as well as making is self-giving at that. And so here's this sweet picture of God just breathing in his spirit into humanity. And we get a picture of this, and some of the people going through seminary get a little bit of this when you look at Ezekiel 37. And this is similar to the Valley of Dry Bones. And so there's this valley where there's literally these dead bones here. And we see, and this is what the Ezekiel says. He says in verse 9 and 10, he says, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God. There we go, Lord God again. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And so here you have this picture of God living so much of his love into people that they were dead. And he brought them back to life. And this is a picture of what we get and what Christ himself does for us. And we're going to dive a little bit into that here in a little bit. But one of the things we have to note here and, and, and really remember is that we must rely upon God to know that we literally have breath in our lungs. And I know that sometimes when we live on our day to day, it's very tempting for so many of us to think that the reason that we are, are breathing is because of us. Almost forgetting as if that God himself has actually allowed us to wake up the next morning. He has literally allowed it. And so once again, taking a step back to what I said earlier this morning, before I started, this should lead us where into worship. We should be thankful to God that we woke up today. And so let us not forget. Let us not forget. Let us remain humble before God for giving us life each and every day. Because without God's graciousness to give us breath, we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing. And so another way in which we ought to rely upon God is we should rely upon God for our food and our enjoyment. We should rely upon God for our food and our enjoyment. And so when we look here, we'll be looking in verses pretty much 8 to 9. And so we see that God himself, he planted the Garden of Eden. And let me just take a, just a quick moment to talk about Eden just a little bit. So the common Hebrew meaning of Eden is delight. Okay, so the sound play of Eden pretty much suggests by its name that the garden was luxuriant. It was this amazing and beautiful garden of luscious trees that were literally in the middle that signified the garden. And so Eden was this, this place that was very much extravagant. And it talks about it's literally this picture that was so extravagant for the eye and the body. And in verse 9 it says, The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree, pleasing, guess what, in appearance, and good for food. And so when you look at that, it says God himself caused really growth for the trees in the garden. So he's providing. And what he's providing is this picture of this pleasing appearance. So it's pleasant in sight. Then there's these things that are good for food. And so when you look back at Genesis 1, verse 29, what do you say? Here is all these things. It's food for you. And so we see this connection between Genesis 1, and we, and we look here in Genesis 2, and you see that God himself is the one who created pleasure and delight, but also food for nourishment for all of creation. And guess what? He also did this by placing the tree of life in the middle of the garden. And we'll talk about that here in my next point. But all of this shows here that God himself knows what's actually good for us. Okay? Because he created it. He planted it there. He placed it there for every one of us. And we ought to remember, again, he provided it all for us. And once again, this is something to rejoice in. That God provides. I love what Jesus even talks about. He's like, don't you know that the Father himself even really provides for the birds of the air? What makes you think that he won't give you good things for folks who ask? He provides for even the lilies. And all of these things, he placed it there. 
And guess what he did for us? The same exact thing. He provided for us. And so, when we think about our lives, we can rejoice when we see beautiful flowers. We can rejoice when we eat some really, really good food. I know for me, I, I'm almost going to scream hallelujah when I eat some, some good steak or some good <laughs> seafood. You know, I love salmon. My wife and I love eating salmon. We love those types of things. But I think about that and say, man, this is good for us. You know, look here in the garden. God provided it for Adam, and he does the same thing for us. And all again, we should praise the provider. Praise the provider. So just moving on, another way that we should rely upon God is we should rely upon God for our direction, our boundaries, and our sustenance. And so in verse 16, it says that the Lord God commanded a man, meaning he gave him a set of rules and boundaries to live by to kind of help him manage that which God has given him in creation, as well as to protect the man. He told him, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you will certainly die. So here we see that God here, he established for mankind to have the ability to choose, to have moral autonomy. And this is the image that we get of the two trees in the garden. And so he's given like this direction, this boundary. And we'll get to the substance part here in a second. But when we think about the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, let me just talk about this for a minute. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, that knowledge means experiencing a decision between two alternatives. That means knowing the choice of good and evil. And so Adam himself knows for himself now what it means to choose his own path. And so this is just taking a step back. This, this is giving us this picture of, guess what? We have freedom, but it's limited. We have freedom, but it's limited. Meaning, we can do what we want. We have the power to choose. But we can't choose whatever we want, expecting it to actually be the best for us. Paul himself even says in Corinthians that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And so when we think about how God has set things up here, he did so so that we can choose what is actually good for us. And guess what? Once again, he provided that which is good for us. And he did so here for Adam in the tree of life. And so this tree establishes and it signifies that man will literally have life and be full in God and fulfilled in God and be fulfilled by his goodness. His goodness is giving us exactly what we need. This is kind of the picture that we get. And so we should rely upon him for our true sustenance in our lives as if it, he is the tree of life, just like he wanted to give for Adam because he made it clear in verse 17 of what will happen. Because if we choose not to walk in God's ways, it says that you will surely die. This is literally what God says. So like you want life. You want fulfillment. Just do what I tell you. Because if you don't, it will literally kill you. I've given you freedom. I've given you boundaries to obey me. I've given you a way of life that will lead to your flourishing. I provided all these things for you to help you thrive. And guess what will happen if you do not listen to me? It will literally harm you. It will lead to your spiritual and your physical death. It will lead to destruction and cause harm in your life. And so the question for us has to be when we evaluate our lives, are we actually flourishing doing things our own ways? Or are our ways leading us into ruin? Just take a minute to ponder that. Usually the ways we choose outside of God's way cause the most harm for us. Even though you have the ability to choose it, usually sometimes you want your own ways, it ends up leading into destruction. I know that from a lot of bad mistakes I've made in my life choosing my own ways. And all that is is when we choose our own ways, this is this picture of us doubting the goodness and the generosity of God. As if he isn't good enough to provide for us. 
just like he did here for Adam. You see, Adam had a choice to life in the paradise of God, in the Garden of Eden. And you see that in the next chapter. It really can contrast you dive into that. I know that you will be talking about Genesis 3 in the fall next week. But you see that there's this moment where life was destroyed. And so I can only think about this tree that God placed here to give life to Adam. And I think about the life that we are living today. And it's like, are we eating from the one who actually gives us life? Is that the tree in which we're going towards? And that's Jesus himself. See, Jesus himself in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Catch that part, life. Right? And he says, no one will get to the Father except through me. So guess what? You want to experience God. You want to live in the fullness of God. It's only found through Jesus. And Jesus even continues on by saying, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10, 10. But guess what he says? I have come to give what? Life. And give it abundantly. Uh, we're getting pictures of these glimpses from the mouth of Jesus going back right into this garden of Eden where this tree of life was present. This is the tree that will literally give us life and sustain. Are we going to the tree of life in Jesus himself? Or are we turning from him to things that literally give us death? We must evaluate our lives. And just, are we living or are we dying right now in this moment? Am I choosing my own path apart from God's word? Not realizing that choosing my own path is leading me down a road in which I'm coming towards this cliff that literally falls down a thousand feet, leading to my demise. We must be looking to Jesus for the presence of God, where true life itself begins and can only be found, just like here in the garden. This is what we can find in Christ. And so let us just once again praise God that despite the fact that we have sinned and gone astray, that God himself says, you know what, I will provide life through my son Jesus. He literally sent Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, this perfect life in the garden in which they fell and you read about next week. But then he died the death that we should have died because of what we told him, you disobey me, you shall surely die. But Jesus himself, who was perfect, didn't fall short himself, who was the new and better Adam, as Paul talks about Aroma, he is the one who literally came and died for us so that we might do what? Have new life and have it abundantly in him as if we were supposed to be back in the garden originally with God. And so really the only thing that we can know is that we are truly alive in Christ. And this only comes from us repenting and turning from our ways and believing in the gospel and following after Jesus. This is what we get. We should rely upon God. We should rely upon him to be our sustenance and be our direction. And so the last way that we ought to rely upon God as we get ready to close, and this is my last point, is we should rely upon God and each other to carry out our God-given purposes. We should rely upon God and each other to carry out our God-given purposes. So even as God had given the man rule, like we said earlier, we get this glimpse. That's exactly why he made us rely upon him and each other. We take a look at verse 18, and he talks about it is not good for man to be alone. He said, I will make a helper corresponding to him. So this is the first time that God uses these words, it is not good. Everything else that he had created before is like, this is good, this is good. This is amazing. And he gets to man and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so what he does is he says, you know, I will put Adam to sleep. I will take a rib. I'll, I will close the flesh. And I will literally make a woman for him. And this is what he did. And just check how strategic God is when he did this. He's so thoughtful. Sounds like he's, he's God. He did this right after bringing Adam, what, the animals. 
So it says, he says, right after bringing him the animals to name them, he says, but for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So what does that reveal about what Adam was doing in that moment? It says this, that God didn't set the animals up to be Adam's counterpart and the help that he needed to carry out the fullness of what God has called him to. This is what you see right here. And I know that sounds a little bit hard. Animals aren't supposed to be everything for my animal lovers. Okay, so I'm very, very sorry. God makes that a little bit clear, but there's something so, so, so good about us having human, human relationships because it's not good. And so this helper that was supposed to be corresponding to him is Eve, the one that he that is seen. And, and, and here, this helper is the one who is to complement or to like be opposite. And, and and that's cool because they, even though they are opposite, we get the same clear picture that they are sharing in the image of God together. And I love it just real quick. This is a quick note that, I, that I, I noticed when I was reading the text. Is literally God, he formed a woman. And then guess what he did? He brought the woman to the man. Meaning she had her own relationship with God before she even was with the man. Which reveals something so cool about God's character. About how he wants us to be intimately connected with him before we can get with each other. And that will make it being better together. And so when we look at all of these verses. And it's clear that God created Eve for Adam so they can just cultivate together. This is a big purpose of what he was doing, meaning we have to be dependent on each other. We have to. This is a part of human nature. It's to be in community. No one can thrive or become all God that has intended them to be alone. And all of this shows that level of intimacy that God himself already had. And he said, let us make man in our image, meaning he was already delighting in the Trinity together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community. And so God knew that we weren't meant to be alone. That's not good for us. And he created us for deep, intimate relationship. And he did so for this man by making this woman. This woman who was just beautiful, full of delight, full of honor, full of dignity. She was made in the image of God. And let me just take a quick note. This is just a little side step. For all my women in the room, you have honor. You're valued so much deeply by God. And here when he talks about helper, it's not this, this picture of being inferior or less than. It's not saying you have this insignificant role in, in, in all of what God has been doing. It doesn't matter. It's not a demeaning term at all. It's actually one of uplifting. It is one that really promotes a strength. And it's so cool because the same word for helper is one that is used to describe God in other parts of the Old Testament. We can even see that, we, that Jesus himself refers to the spirit that's going to come. He's a, what, a helper. And so helper isn't something that doesn't matter. Helper describes a God who wants to help his people. And so Really, our women are a picture of the hands of God as a helper. And so praise God for our women. Praise God for the, for the women and their wives, because you are of equal importance to the mission of God just as much as man. Ruling and, domin and having dominion together. These verses show so much between man and woman in marriage and oneness is this picture of interdependence upon each other. And guess what it does ultimately? It reflects the image of the immortal God. And it shows that in some ways we can only build the kingdom of God well together. And in some ways better than if we were alone. But that does not mean, hear me out, it does not mean that working outside of, uh, uh, in your life alone is not good to God. That's not what this means at all. It doesn't mean that if you are not married, that you're insignificant. This is not what he is saying. These verses do not point that, so let's make that clear. Because you still got to remember, Adam did a lot of cool things before he even brought Eve. Okay? So, he really did. He really made animals. Like, that's a mighty task. 
So you can do some cool things for God alone. Let me just lay that out there for even my singles. Okay? But God did establish marriage and community to reflect his glory. And so as we close, let me just close with this saying is there's so much depth in these verses that we did not even get a chance to scratch the surface on. We could, we could have talked a whole other sermon on men and women's roles, a whole specific sermon on biblical marriage and dive deep into it, but we did not get a chance to do that today. But I do want to look at this and look back at this chapter and see how God has created us and called us to be. And I cannot help but actually just taking a look at this marriage between a man and a woman, knowing that marriage is one of God's ways to give insight into the reliance that we ultimately need in God. And so for the married folk or those who desire to be, when we walk in this aspect of being God's image bearers, we become a reflection of the character and the beauty of God. And we also, even when we are single, we get a picture of that when we are in Christ-centered community. And guess what we do? We show the whole world a God who loves deeply. We show the whole world of a God who loves so deeply that despite the reality of us falling short and proclaiming his image because of our sin, Despite the fact that we've gone astray and choose, chosen other things other than God, he still seeks a marriage with us. He wants to restore and make things new, that which have been broken, even though we've gone astray. And so what we must do is to just draw near to the one who literally himself came and proposed from a cross, arms open, wanting to embrace us, Jesus Christ and Nazareth, the Son of God, so that we can be restored to the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, so that when Christ comes back for the final marriage of him and his church, we will be with God restored, guess what, to complete paradise as if we're back in the garden, as men and women who are to rule and rely upon God for what means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just this text that you've just given us to remind us of how you create us and wired us. Lord, I pray that this section of scripture in Genesis would be one that would just bring us all to a heart of worship and then also convict us to ask ourselves, are we running to you as the tree of life? Are we walking in our God-given purposes? Are we living in something less than? And if the answer is yes to that, we know that you are just so gracious with open arms wanting us to draw near. And so I pray that you would draw near to us and that we would become all that you have for us to be. Christ, I'm going to pray. Amen.